Okay, so I want you guys to know that I saw an example of warm community that I want you to follow this morning. So John was holding Noah, and this was before church had started. And Judah comes in the room, and Noah goes, Judah, it's Judah. Hi, Judah. Hi, Judah. Now, he lives with Judah all the time. We see each other every Sunday, and I want to hear that same kind of enthusiasm when I walk in the room. There's Leslie. It's Leslie. (laughs) That is the sweetest, though, and we can learn a lot from that, honestly. So last week, Josh introduced our sermon series for the summer, which is on Sabbath. And the definition of Sabbath that we're operating off of is a 24-hour time period where we stop all work and set aside a day to rest, delight, and worship our God. So that's the definition we're working with. And we're going to call those four movements of Sabbath. Um, Again, stop, rest, worship, delight. The most important point from Josh's sermon was that God made Sabbath for us. And that's going to cover everything we talk about, about Sabbath. I want you to keep that in mind. God made Sabbath for us. It is a gift. It's not to be thought of only in terms of what we can't do, because it was to be good news for us, not bad news. The Sabbath command is, in fact, a command to experience joy. And so I want you to listen to what Isaiah 58, 13, and 14 says. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God made Sabbath so that we would find our joy in him. It's a time to stop and reflect on who he is and that he is God and that we are not and that we can find great joy in that. It's a gift. Before we get started, I want to ask you to evaluate something. So you know that little battery indicator on your phone? I plug mine in every night, so when I wake up in the morning, it says 100%. And I have no idea why, but that is so satisfying to me. 100%. And then when it gets down to 20%, you get this little notice, low battery, you need to plug in. And immediately that produces anxiety. It's like, I got to find a place and plug in quick. So if you had to rate yourself like we rate our batteries related to how tired or rested you are, and when I say rested, I don't just mean physically rested, Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually rested, where would you be on the indicator? Would you be at 95%? Would you be at 20%? Would you be somewhere in the middle, 50-60%? Where would you be? So in terms of how tired or how rested you feel, what percentage would you give yourself? 
And I want you to keep that percentage in mind as we talk through some of this today. Last week, Josh shared with us Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, the one that starts, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I want to share that with you today in the paraphrase of the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Remember, this is Jesus talking. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. That's apprenticeship to Jesus right there. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I don't know about you, but freely and lightly sounds wonderful. I want to live that way. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says he came to bring life to the full. But one of the things that caught my attention out of this paraphrase of it is the term burned out. Because as I talk with people, this is probably the number one struggle most people share with me, is I'm burned out. I'm burned out at my job. I'm burned out in my marriage. I'm burned out with my friendships. I'm burned out with the stuff I need to do for church. I'm burned out at trying to make relationships at church. I'm burned out with trying to read scripture. I'm burned out with trying to spend time with God. I'm burned out. It's a new catchphrase. We hear it all the time. And it is our new normal. And there are reasons we're burned out. One of them is lack of physical rest. People in the very recent history would sleep 10 to 11 hours a night because they would go to bed when the sun went down and they would get up when the sun came up. In our age right now, the average amount of sleep a night, you want to guess? Six is it. Six is the average amount of hours people sleep a night. And while there are seasons of life when that's unavoidable, when we are just going to be running on fumes, running on empty, it's become chronic for way too many of us. But burnout is not just physical. It's also due to lack of emotional and mental rest. When we go on vacation and we catch up on our sleep, we still have this emotional and mental burnout. And it's because of the hurries, hurriedness, busyness, and the frantic pace we live our lives at. It's our always-on work culture. It's the rising cost of living. A lot of people are having to work multiple jobs now just to pay their bills. It's the phone that never stops buzzing. It's the alerts that constantly come across. It's the churn of the 24-7 news cycle, with a lot of it being very frightening news that fills us with fear. It's tons of information that we don't even have time to process. It's entertainment and games and TV that gives us a false sense of connectedness and a false sense of rest that really just leaves us more exhausted. And it's an epidemic of loneliness, what some call the greatest health crisis that we face right now. And I was thinking about this, and I was like, 
how is it that we're lonelier than we're, we've ever been, but like there's more people in the world than there's ever been? Like we're around more people. We don't have to be isolated. We can choose to be. But there are plenty of people to have relationships with. In Texas in 1950, there were 7,700,000 people. In 2022, there were 30 million people. There are a lot of people around us. But the reason we're lonelier than ever is because we're too physically, mentally, and emotionally burned out to start and maintain relationships. It's just too much to carry. And it's not just burnout due to physical, emotional, and mental overload. At its core, it's a spiritual problem. Jesus said the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, guess what? The more exhausted we are, the more difficult it is for us to love. The more difficult it is for us to bear any of the fruit of the Spirit, for that matter, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things don't tend to grow when we're exhausted and tired. Jesus said it this way, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So the hard truth about burnout is it's hard to love God when you're burned out, and it's hard to love people when you're burned out. As a general rule, tired people are not loving people. Some of my worst moments as a human and as a friend and as a pastor and as a coworker and as a wife and mother are when I'm exhausted and stressed and especially when I'm in a hurry. I become irritable, impatient, and selfish when I'm those things. And a recent example of this, which just happened to be the weekend we were going on the all-church retreat, is I wanted to grab a Starbucks coffee on the way. And so I knew I need to order ahead, so I ordered ahead. I even waited 10 extra minutes from when they said it was going to be ready. I allotted myself five minutes to run in, grab my coffee, run out, and then get on to the retreat. But I got there, and my order was nowhere to be found. And so I, I'm in a hurry. I start getting a little grumpy, like, well, where's my order? I put it in on, you know, ordered ahead so it would be ready when I got here so I could just grab it and go. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. Let me check on it. So she checks on it, and then she comes back, and she says, somebody picked your order up. Somebody grabbed your order. And so I was like, well, great. Well, I am in a hurry, and I'm going to need you to make that really quick because I don't have time to wait. And so she's like, okay, I'll get that right now. And so she goes over and she's working on my order. And as she does, I'm looking around. Every square inch of that store is full of people. In the parking lot, it's wrapped around the building once and in some places twice for the drive-through. And I just went, oh, I'm sure that really made her day. Please hurry up and get my order. And so when she brought my order back to me, she said, I'm really sorry, I apologize, um, here's your order. And I said, no, I'm really sorry. I said, I'm really sorry that I was so grumpy with you about my order not being ready. I can see that you guys are slammed, 
that you're trying to do your best and you guys are doing a great job. So thank you for getting my order and for being so sweet to me when you did. And she just gave me one of those looks like, thank you. And then went about, you know, her business. But that's how we get when we get hurried and we're exhausted. We don't think about anybody else. We think about what our end goal is. And I'm on my way to the all church retreat. I'm on my way to a relaxing weekend while these people are busting it at Starbucks to get that coffee out. That's not how Jesus meant for it to be. Jesus' will for our lives is not for us to be chronically exhausted, sleep-deprived, unhappy, and living with no margin in our lives. Many of us working six or seven days a week, and we're under a lot of stress. And year after year, we're becoming less loving, not more. We're running on edge, and we don't have the energy to be present for family, for our church community, for everyday life, or even for God. Okay, think about what number, what percentage you gave yourself on that power bar. And I want you to think about the fact that you chose that number at 10.45 in the morning, not at 10.45 at night, okay? We usually don't rest until we're dangerously tired, until we're down to that 20% or lower. And when we do rest, it's often just enough to be able to keep going. Like, we don't rest until we're back up to 100%. We rest until we get up to maybe 40%, because then I can go a little bit longer. But what do we miss out on when we're living this way? Guys, some of the best stuff happens when we're well-rested. Wisdom, insight, hope, vision for the future, Grace for other people's shortcomings. My goodness, grace for our own shortcomings. Energy to do our best work. Those are the things, just some of them, that we miss out on when we're running on empty. And this is why rest is essential to apprenticeship to Jesus. Because if the end goal is to become a person who loves God and loves people, then we have to be rested. We cannot be chronically exhausted. Is there a practice of Jesus that reorients us away from exhaustion to life to the full? Well, I'm so glad you asked. There is. It's called Sabbath. The word Sabbath or Shabbat in Hebrew most literally means to stop. And so that's what we're going to talk about today for just a few minutes is stopping And I can see that some of you are already starting to sweat, your heart rate is starting to elevate, and you're probably thinking, there's no way I can stop. I would feel guilty, like I was just wasting time if I was just sitting around. I couldn't get everything done if I stopped. Stopping feels incompatible with my life. And there are a lot of reasons we can give for not stopping. And some people have legitimate reasons for that. Some people can't survive and meet their basic needs if they stop. Some people don't have the same uh, benefits that we have. And that's a real thing. And I think we have to think about when we have people in our body that experience that, 
Sabbath is a communal thing, so how do we help them be able to join us in Sabbath and be able to rest? And that's another conversation that I haven't figured out yet, but I'm going to put it out there that that's our responsibility as part of Sabbath. I think we've established that many of us are burned out and that the pace we live at is not sustainable. So what are some reasons that we can stop? Well, one reason that we can stop is, and rest is because God is always at work. John 5, 17 says, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Psalms 46, 10, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God and you are not. Be still and know that the final work to be done comes from me. I want you to join me in it, but I want you to join me in it in a rhythm of work and rest. Psalms 127, 1 and 2. This, we actually sang this this morning in the first part of All Glory Be to God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, anxiously toiling for food to eat. For while they sleep, God provides for those he loves. For while they sleep, God provides for those he loves. We can stop and rest because God is at work. When we understand that God provides for us in our rest, we can rest. Remember, the he Hebrew concept of day begins with evening, and it ends with morning. So we begin our day with rest, and we end our day or finish our day with work. And this reminds us that even before the day begins, God has already been at work. We're entering a work that's already in progress. So even before we teach or code or analyze data or take care of patients or fix cars or serve coffee, God has been at work in the lives of people. And God is at work while we rest. So we can rest. And I'm going to say something that's a little bit opposite of what John said in his communion talk, but it's because we're talking about extremes here. So God doesn't need anything from us in terms of the big picture, which is what John said. Like all the work is done through God, but he invites us into that work with him. But we often take ourselves way too seriously. Like we can't take a break, like it's all up to us, like we are the ones that are gonna get all this done. And that's just not the truth. We need to remember where our place is and who we are and who God is. And we need to do a good job at our work, but we also need to be rested so we can do a good job at that. Um, Ken Shigematsu, a pastor in British Columbia says, there are certain things we can do in our work, there are things we can't control in our work, and there are some things we can influence in our work. So we work hard, but we rest knowing that God is at work while we rest. 
In Exodus 20, where God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments, he prefaces them with this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That was the backdrop to which he gave the command to remember the Sabbath day. And I found a very helpful article about this on DesiringGod.org, and I want to read just a little bit of it to you, um, but it's a little bit longer than what I would normally read. So just hang in there and listen, because honestly, I think it just says it better than I could reword it myself. So the question is, what was it like in Egypt in slavery? Like when God said that that's the backdrop he brought this against is, I brought you out of that, what did that really mean? Well, it was bricks, bricks, and more bricks, all day, every day. It was work, work, and more work, with not even minimal time for rest. It was production, not flourishing, strict commerce, not neighborly love. It was about the commodity of idols, not the imaging of God. In other words, it was a world in opposition to humanity's purpose and one not too unlike sectors of our society today. God, as we see in creation, isn't a deity wringing his sweaty hands in panic, trying to milk every last drop of what's there. No. He speaks and it comes to be out of nothing, and he does it in six days resting on the seventh day just because he can. He wants us to know right from the start in the rhythms of our lives that he doesn't need anything. He is the one who works in perfect precision, neither too little nor too much, and we exist to bask in his glory, not barter for its increase. We exist to magnify his radiance, not supplement his worth. And because this is the case, in a world where everyone's deity says, do, 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 the God of Israel says to stop. The air we breathe of this fallen world is anxiety. Keep busy, stay nervous. I don't know if that resounds with you like it does with me, but when I read that, I was like, that is so true. And it's into this mess, striking through the smog like flashes of lightning, the fundamental message of God's salvation resounds. Trust me and rest. Trust me and rest. We can put down our tools. We can close our computers. We can forbid those thoughts about that next meeting or those emails waiting for a reply or how the numbers aren't as high as we'd like. We can stop and trust him who justifies the ungodly. We can trust that when Jesus died in our place on the cross, he died to destroy all the anxieties of our lack, to still our ceaseless striving, to hush the winds of our self-justifying labor, to irrevocably connect us to the abundance of his grace we possess by his work, not ours. We can stop and rest because God is always at work. And again, I think that the point there is not that we need to not work. <laughs> the point is there needs to be a balance between work and rest because it makes us better workers for our God. It makes us better workers for the people that we serve through whatever job we have. Okay, second, we can stop and rest because God stopped and rested after creation. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God created our world as a world of rhythms, and he showed us his personal example of stopping. God Sabbathed. God stopped. And you say, I'm a type A, high-capacity person. And my response to you would be, God Sabbathed. I'm a doer, and I have a lot going on in my life right now. I understand that, but God Sabbathed. Yeah, I have little kids at home, and I'm starting a business. Mm-hmm. God Sabbathed. God the Creator stopped, and in doing so, he built a rhythm into the fabric of our lives. We work for six. And then we Sabbath, we stop for one. But our lives are throwing us out of any kind of rhythm. And God created the human body and the planet itself to live in a rhythm. Think about it. There's a rhythm between day and night, between waking and sleeping. There's a rhythm between the noise and activity of spring and summer and the dormancy and the quiet of fall and winter. There's a rhythm to the tides. With our own bodies, there's a rhythm of breathing in and out, in and out. When we lose this sense of rhythm, of pace, of back and forth, we lose part of our humanity. We don't stop when we're finished because we're never finished. It's never enough. We stop when the rhythm God built into our bodies says stop. And when we stop, we reap the rewards, an inner spirit of restfulness, a calm, we're unhurried, we're kind, we're present, we're aware of God, what God is doing around us, we're sincerely grateful and emotionally healthy, we're delighted by the goodness of our life with God. But when we fight the rhythm, we reap the consequences, burnout, stress, trashed immune systems, frayed relationships, distance from God, anxiety, sleeplessness, always wanting more. But we can stop and rest because God did after creation. And then three, we can stop because we're not what we do. Rest, this is Dr. Esau McCauley, rest is an affirmation of the sovereignty of God. He doesn't slumber or sleep so that we can. Sabbath-keeping is a physical manifestation of salvation by grace. It is an act of resistance against the lie that we are only what we create or accomplish. We remember we're not what we do or what we have or what other people think about us. We are who we're deeply loved by. We are God's children. We are God's beloved. Rich Velotas said, Sabbath keeping at its core is a profession of faith. In observing, if we confess, I am not what I, in observing it, we confess, I am not what I do. The world will not stop if I cease my work. And Christ is holding all things together. I could have preached a whole sermon on that outline. We can stop because we are not what we do. So many of us are willing to say 
that you feel like God has called you to a certain um, kind of work or a certain career, but very few of us are then willing to follow the rhythms that he gives us in that of work and rest. Sabbath is more than just a day. It's a way of living in the world. The practice of Sabbath is a day of rest by which we cultivate a spirit of restfulness in all of life. A practice by which we undergo a dramatic shift from restlessness to restfulness, from hurry to peace, from noise to quiet, from distraction to clarity, from grasping for more to gratitude. Sabbath, like all practices, is a means to an end. The end isn't, I practice Sabbath, check. It's not even to be well-rested and happy. It's to remember that there is a God, and his name is not Leslie. His name is not Josh. His name is not Tate. His name is not Ricardo. It's to participate in the love and life of God himself to center our entire life around him and to live more deeply in him, to remember that the world is full of suffering and pain and evil, but it's also full of goodness and beauty and truth. That one thing alone, if that was the only benefit we got from stopping and practicing Sabbath, it would be worth it. We need to remember that The fact that the world is painful and there's suffering doesn't negate the fact that God is good and that life is also beautiful. We owe it to God to be grateful and full of joy in his world. And it's not not to remember these things just on the Sabbath, but all week long. A Bible scholar, Walter Brueggemann, said, people who Sabbath live all seven days differently. So you have to decide, do I want this? If you do, you have to step into this rhythm with God and with his community. You don't have to live a Sabbathless life of burnout. Right where you are, no matter your stage of life, you can adopt the practice of Sabbath. And you don't have to buy it or order it online or earn it. All you have to do is stop. And if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. You can stop because God is God and you are not. You can stop because God is God and you are not. So at the end of this, I have a confession to make. I've practiced rest off and on in my life but I've never practiced Sabbath in the way that we're going to talk about it until this past Friday and Saturday. So I want to describe to you a little bit of what that looked like. We'll be talking about specifics of what Sabbath could look like in our small groups, but I just kind of wanted to share with you from a perspective of someone who's learning with you what that's looking like in my life. So uh, this first time, I stopped from 6.30 Friday night until noon on Saturday. And you're like adding that up and you're going, that's not 24 hours. <laughs> well, we don't expect anybody to go from not having a, observing a Sabbath to doing it for 24 hours. It's gonna take time to get to that point. And it's gonna take practice. And so that's what we're gonna be doing in our small groups. 
This is what it looked like. And it started with a Sabbath meal with Josh and Emily and Ezra and Ari and Ricardo and Claudia and Devin and Jessica. And those were the people we chose for this Sabbath meal. We are hoping that at some point we'll get to Sabbath, have a Sabbath meal with everybody in the room. Um, but that was our crew this time. And we started by taking a little piece of paper and we wrote on that paper anything that we still needed to do. So like for me, I still needed to finish my sermon. So sermon went on my, my paper. And then anything that we were just anxious about that was bothering us or that we were concerned about, wrote that on our paper, put it in a box, put that box up and gave that to God and said, we're going to let God take care of this while we have our Sabbath meal together. And then we read Psalms 103 together, and that one starts, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. And we did that as a way just to remind ourselves that Sabbath is about God and that it's about his goodness. And then we all sat down for our meal together. So I was trying to feed Ari a bottle because he was going to go to bed before we had our meal, but he was not interested in his bottle because he was way more interested in sitting at the table with us for Sabbath. So Ari got in his little seat that was attached to the table, and he had Sabbath dinner with us. Ezra snuggled in between Claudia and myself to sit uh, with us, and so everybody brought something to contribute to the meal, and let me tell you, it was amazing. Um, it was very delicious. Devin brought this amazing cheesecake from Ravel and Bakery. I really don't even like cheesecake that much, but I had a bite of that, and I was like, oh, it's because I've never had this kind of cheesecake. It was delicious. And we just enjoyed the meal together. We all answered the question, like, what have you been particularly thankful for in the past week? And we got to hear all the things that had, God had been doing in everybody's life. We um, were not serious the whole time. We joked a lot. We laughed a lot. We um, just enjoyed being together. And then after we had eaten and everything, then Josh made decaf coffee so that we could still sleep that night at some point. And for the non-coffee drinkers, we had sparkling cider um, that they could drink. And Ezra <laughs> kept trying to drink the apple cider, and he would take a drink and go, and then he would go back for more. It was like he kept trying to talk himself into, this has got to be good. Everybody's drinking it. But he, he was not impressed. And it was such a sweet time. We all cleaned up and we left around 10 o'clock. And we had just had this really sweet family time together. And as I left, I felt light. My heart felt full from having the time with each of these people that I so dearly love. The next morning, I laid in bed until 8.30. I had my coffee and my almond butter toast, and any of you that know me know that's what I have every morning of my life. I read scripture. I talked to God. I sang to him. I made a list of things I was thankful for. I read a book for pleasure, not because I had to. Woohoo! I did some stretching and took a 15-minute nap, and then I prayed, and I still needed to finish my sermon. So I went to uh, get my computer. It had been working great the night before. I flip it open, the little uh, power light is on, and I can get it to do nothing. The screen is black. It will not turn off completely. It will not come on. I can't reboot it anyway. And normally at this point, I would have freaked out. 
And I would have been like, I'm just not going to be able to preach tomorrow. Like, I just can't get to my sermon. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't print it out. How am I going to do this? Why is this happening right now? Like, it was fine last night. That's kind of what my freakouts look like. But instead, I got my phone. I was like, oh, this is a problem. I got my phone. I handy-dandily Googled, what do I do when my Lenovo computer has the light on but won't do anything? I got several solutions, and I tried them, and within 10 minutes, I found one that worked, and I got it turned on, and I didn't feel anxious, and I didn't throw a fit, and then I finished my sermon, and I actually still felt refreshed when I finished. I do not expect that every Sabbath that I practice will go that way, but I was just kind of impressed that when I took time to actually rest, it affected everything about my mindset, which was crazy to me. And honestly, you guys, the more that I've studied about it and the more that I've read people's um, experiences with Sabbath, the more that I think this is the answer to burnout. It's that we aren't living the rhythms God intended us to live. And so I'm excited about continuing to learn with you guys And I'm excited to hear about your experiences as we do that. Do not feel like your experience has to be positive for you to share it with us. We want to hear good, bad, and ugly. But hopefully as we go through this, you're going to be sharing that with your small group, but hopefully you'll be able to share it with the rest of us in the body as well. So next week, Sabbath takes practice in time is what we'll be talking about. If you have any questions, if you have anything you want to talk through, If you're like, I heard you say that we all need to have Sabbath or we're going to hell, then please ask about that and let me respond to that. You know, but sometimes you just hear things and you take it one way and I'm like, oh no, that is not what I meant at all. So please ask if you have questions. But I'm going to pray for us and then Josh is going to do announcements. Uh, God, I just pray that as we study your word about what Sabbath looked like, as we seek to be apprentices of Jesus and to live like he did, that you would just teach us and be patient with us about how this should look in our lives. And I pray, God, that we will submit that to you and let you work that in our lives. I pray that we would become people that are unhurried, people that are not chronically exhausted, people that can rest and find our rest in you and your goodness. Um, We just love you a lot, and we thank you for giving us an opportunity to stop. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.